A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast, presented by Owen. Hi there. Murph. Hello there. And Ken. Hi, how are you? I'm pretty good, Ken. I'm pretty... Well... I'm not great in the sense that the Six Nations campaign for Ireland so far has boiled down to serious injuries, mm-hmm. uh, total abdication of responsibilities by referees and those above them to ensure basic rules of safety are seen to during games. Yeah. Failure on Ireland's part to score any points for large periods of matches. Yeah. First defeat to France in years. Coach being hammered by critics for the first time in his time in charge. And now we're going to Twickenham to face an unbeaten England team. What I'm saying is, Ken... We need to inject a feel-good factor to this week right from the off. Mm. So really get them think, thinking over there in, uh, in London. Which is why we're going to celebrate 10 years since Shane Horgan's iconic match-winning try in Twickenham with Shane Horgan. Uh, he, we, you remember the background of this. We'd beaten them there in 04 Indeed. as world champions. We beat them again. Basically, we're in the middle of dominating them. Mm. Although I think it might have taken until 2006 for England to realise. Hang on a second. <laughs> what's happened here? We're, this other team are way better than us. We normally just hammer them. I'm um, watching again today. I don't know what you were struck by, Murph. Um, for Andy Robinson. Go on. I'd forgotten that Andy Robinson was in charge of England. And he has, I think, the funniest ex- uh, facial expression that I've ever seen on a manager whose team has just suffered a humiliating reversal. So after the TMO uh, reports that, yes, you may award the try, Eddie O'Sullivan celebrates for the first and only time in his entire rugby career with a little sort of Napoleonic two-fisted uh, salute and then sits straight back down. There was down a again. hint of the Alex Ferguson about it. From, there was, you know, more the than Ferguson a hint. Doesn't quite, doesn't, he doesn't want to go over the top and get the arms right above the head there, Eddie. Mm. He does let that bit of emotion show. Uh, he immediately retakes the seat and then not not... Two seconds later, we see Andy Robinson. Oh, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to describe, basically like a bulldog chewing a wasp, as someone memorably described uh, a similar facial expression. Uh, so that that stuck with me this morning. I must say, I'd forgotten that part of the story. Would well, you remember Jerry Flannery's liberal Jerry Flannery's liberal use of industrial language? <laughs> There's a little bit of afters as well. No, I didn't see anything, lads, okay? No subtitling required from Jerry Flannery. Hey, nothing happened. I think you got the drift. Nothing happened, it was handbags. That was Jerry taking issue with the behaviour as opposite number, Steve Thompson, just in case you missed it. 
me up. <laughs> but Jerry Flannery is a man of God. Ken, you understand this better than anyone. Yeah. That is not church. That is not the, the language of the church. Well, he, he wasn't in church at the time. I suppose. So twicking him. We're going to talk. It was an amazing moment. And I think a, a career defining, career changing moment for, for Jerry. Shane Horgan. Shag Horgan. For Shag Horgan, mm. indeed. So we're going to talk about that. It was a perfect slow mo. It was a perfect slow mo try as well. Mm. Just because you see his body contorting in this, frankly, almost impossible manner. He's being hammered over the sideline by a flanker, Lewis Moody. He's somehow just about keeping his feet up in the air so that they don't land in touch while contorting his right hand. So all of his body's going one way and he's just got that long right arm reaching over to dot the ball down, which looks amazing in slow motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. You know, the for, for slow mo to really have an effect, I think you need quite a bit going on in the in the frame. Yep. And there's a lot going on there. I mentioned Ireland dominating that rivalry for a few years, but when is a great sporting rivalry not really a rivalry anymore, Kieran? I asked because back in 2010, Tipperary, mm-hmm. complete with Shane McGrath in midfield, our, one of our guests on today's programme, killed Kilkenny uh, and looked as though, and that really was, it was at its peak then in modern times anyway. They'd played an amazing final, it was in three finals in a row, and whether Tip won or lost, they were always putting it up to Kilkenny, and you thought that might be the way for years to come. Fast forward to this Sunday and they lose again. Only a league match, but that's the... You know, the manner of the defeat as much as anything else, I think, yesterday. Two late goals. 11th, that's the 11th time in 13 games since that 2010 All-Ireland that they've lost to Kilkenny. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's um, Yeah, it, it's one of these situations where you really think that Tipperary themselves feel like this is... You know, we're the second best team. We'll put it, continue to put it up to Kilkenny. You know, we're the only team out there that can handle Kilkenny. And really, there's been nothing we haven't seen anything like that from Tipperary in quite a while now even in Championship Galway have beaten Kilkenny in the Championship Cork have knocked them out of the Ireland Championship uh, Clare have won all Ireland in the intermediate time but for all of the bluster for all of the near misses that Tipperary have had and obviously they brought them to a replay in the Ireland final in 2014 they still haven't done it against Kilkenny and the the fact of the matter is now that as the game was edging to a finish yesterday, you still kind of thought Kilkenny have the wood over them here a small bit, and the two goals eventually went and proved. Are them. we? T- are you talking about a mental block here, though, or just the fact that Kilkenny, the tip, haven't moved on, be it player wise or tactically, despite Eamon O'Shea coming in and leaving, it didn't change to the degree that they uh, that they just haven't improved, and Kilkenny have stayed the same. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think there's any doubt, but that Tipperary have gone backwards quite a bit since. 20, 2009 and 2010. I don't think there's any argument about that. And the, the the fact that they've gone through quite a few managers since Liam Sheedy oversaw those two uh, appearances in the Ireland Finals, it hasn't improved them at all. And it, it, the, the, the situation that, that the rivalry is in now is that Kilkenny have absolutely no fear of, of playing Tipperary. That Tipperary still have... Their, their heads are still in the 2010, maybe even 2011 frame of mind where right all you have to do is just get our ducks in a row we'll beat Kilkenny whereas Kilkenny have are, have moved on have moved way past that uh, and don't see Tipperary as a, as a threat at all now although you still have to be confident when you're playing against them or, or do you Should, isn't, it, isn't that right that they at least have a feeling that they can beat Kilkenny when most counties go in and have decided that they've lost yeah, I, th- I think that there's there's it's, more... It's, it's better it's, to actually get more substance behind those claims yeah, before thinking. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> that, that... I mean, 2010 wouldn't have happened without the 2009 All-Ireland Final performance by Tipperary, where 
they, you know, the Benny Dunn sending off was maybe the pivotal moment in the game. But the Tipperary were absolutely outstanding for whatever it was, 57 minutes of that game. And even after the sending off were brilliant. And I think that you had, there, at some stage there has to be a performance like that to to spur the the, the rivalry onto another another level. Because as it stands right now, can he just have it over tip? When we released volume one of our second captain sports annual late last year and put it out there for the price of fifteen ninety nine, can you remember your reaction, Ken? I thought, wow, that's an interesting. Pro- what was my reaction? <laughs> I have to admit, I don't remember what my reaction. was. I'm going to say, Ken, you were disgusted. You said, "How can we give away?" So, what was your reaction, Murph? Well, I, I, I mean, sure, I thought it was it was a competitive price, but I thought, unpossed, you know, they're they're probably going to have to get something out of this. They're you know they're going to have to charge us first. You know they're they're going to have to you know wet their beak here. Uh, that's what I thought. But I mean, what what are you going to say to me now? On well, that we're, we're giving up only, on that, that we're not even paying on post anymore. Is that it? For one week only, we're going to offer free delivery worldwide on second captain second This offer ends on Friday, February twenty sixth. So why not get on it straight away? It also applies to Ireland because Ireland is a part of the world. It is a part of the world. As yes, of might say it is not the world. That, that would be ridiculous on to say that it is. So free shipping, world. free postage, free packaging, whatever you want to call it. There's no fee uh, added to that incredibly, I think, incredibly valuable, incredibly good value price, I should say, of fifteen ninety nine. Get on that secondcaptains.com. It's been a pretty miserable 10 days since the France game. We're out of the championship. Our players are busted up. And now we have to go to Twickenham to play a resurgent England team. I think we're all in need of a pick-me-up. So it seems like a good time to remind you that it's 10 years since this happened. O'Gara, little chip of shape, though Triscoll is coming. Bounce. It's up Triscoll. Brian O'Driscoll. He's got the point. He's on a cross towards Hogan. Over the 10 meter line. Races towards the 22. Goes to the line himself. Can he get there? Shane Horgan. Oh, just held up short. Trinner still has. Ireland still has. Horgan has another opportunity. Goes to the line. Touches it in. Gets in for the try. And Eddie O'Sullivan look at each other. It looks good. Oh, and they're going upstairs. Has Shane Horgan rescued the triple crown for Ireland? I wouldn't be 100% confident. Let's see it again. Shane Horgan. If you've done this, you will be remembered for many, many years. Watch the feet. The feet look good. Is the ball grounded? Every inch of Horgan. Yes! It must be. Okay, give it to me. You may award the try. Ireland. Lead again. Shane Horgan is the hero. And what a hero. The referee has blown the whistle here. In England, we've had some incredible games of rugby football taking them. That, as they say, beats Banner. Shane Horgan with the try. Late, late in the game. And we've got the England slayer himself on, Shane Horgan. Shane, happy enough to listen to that clip on a dreary Monday afternoon? (laughs) 
Thanks so much. You've made me emotional here listening to that. And also, my head is not going to be able to get out of the office door here. Um, <laughs> but thank you very much. It's, it's a really good memory. Yeah, well, 10 years on, I, you, I, I, I'm sure you can put it in some sort of a context now that you obviously couldn't at that stage. Did it, how do you look back at it? Did it change your career in, in a meaningful way? Yeah, I think it did. It changed my career. probably changed my life a bit as well. Um, there's just a sort of notoriety that went, um, that went with it. I remember coming home afterwards and um, I was more recognisable straight away on the street. Um, and there's such goodwill towards any victory against England. Um, and then you multiply that by the fact that it was um, a victory in Twickenham. And then again, it's multiplied by another factor because it was the, the nature of it in the last moment. Um, so... Um, there was there's a huge amount of goodwill and, and kind of publicity around it. And yeah, I think it did have probably a, a fairly big impact on my life. Uh, you kind of see that sometimes with, with sports people, that the sort of one transcendent moment in their career that uh, just it, that's what defines them more than any other moment, no matter how long and how storied the career. Say, you know, maybe Ray Houghton is a guy who had two of them, but, you know, the Houghton goal against England in Stuttgart, or Shane Long, maybe a more uh, recent example, the goal against Germany, Robbie Henshaw against England maybe last year. Just that sports will have this one moment that they know maybe even as it's happening will have a life-changing effect on them. I don't think you're as aware at the time. Um, I think you're, you recognise it's a big deal uh, because the way sportsmen I think are built it's the kind of thing that you're almost waiting your career to happen you're expecting to have one of those moments um I know even as a kid I always expected to have something big I don't know what it was going to be but I felt like that and you know that's unrealistic but I think it's probably what drives on um sports people it's 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 what you want in your career and that's what you think of and it's what you in, when you're playing around in the backyard you're thinking of big moments you're not thinking of just you think of yes, get an international cap, but also maybe doing something significant in the jersey, or being part of something significant. When you say it changed your your career and your life, though, Shane, can you expand on that a little bit? What what did it actually change? Well, I think um, if if you look at my career now, I work I work with you guys as, as a, an analyst. I work with Sky and RTE. I think it allowed me to to um, segue into that career a little bit uh, more easily. Some of the other stuff I do outside of rugby. Um, some of the consultancy work I do, I think it allowed me, um, it gave me a, um, a foundation to do that on. Um, it gave me a, a notoriety, but also I think because of the, some of the things you do in your career that you, you develop a bit more gravitas and, and also maybe have a, a name recognition in the UK as well. So I think I, I'm forever grateful that I was part of um, that team and on the end of that particular move because I think uh, along with a, a few other things I think it did have quite a significant uh, impact on my career and, and it's it's well remembered so I think that uh, buys you uh, some some credits with people. Did it change how you felt about yourself and your own game? You were uh, a lion at this stage you would have been coming off the back of the Lions tour the, the previous season in 2005 and you're playing great rugby. You've been on the Irish setup for six years at this stage. Did it give you a self belief that you hadn't previously had? Um, I, I think I probably did. I, it was a period that around that time I started playing some of my best rugby. Um, I think it coincided also with the time when uh, in your life when you've played best rugby. I think around that 
a couple of years either side of 27 i think you're at your peak um you feel as if you're you know you you almost feel unstoppable um and you uh you you want to have an impact on on the games more and i think we've spoken about this before that you spend an element of your career just trying to get into teams and that's significant and then yeah. you spend another time trying to influence games and be important within those teams and have success and we you know win cups and have medals and uh, i think that coincided uh, with that period in my life and coincided with that game also so you were at a stage of your career where you you felt there was an onus on you you put pressure on yourself to make something happen in these situations if you could well i th- thought i think um that it wasn't enough to just be carried along by the team and expect other players to do stuff. To be honest with you, that isn't a particularly good example of it because the majority of the work was done on the inside and the decision to make, um, to, to try that chip out of the 22, the execution of that kick uh, by Raj, the regather by Brian O. So all those things were um, not in my control and it wasn't me having an influence on the game. Um, but in general, um, I wanted to try and be more influential in games, which really for me meant trying to get more touches, trying to um, be on the end of moves, trying to be involved in moves and, and trying to make sure that, you know, that the backs got a lot of the ball so we could we could do our best to influence games. Well, let's talk a bit about the try itself, Shane. You mentioned O'Gara's chip ahead, O'Driscoll collects it brilliantly as always, passes to you, you're up against the flanker and the wing, so you just ran it in from there, right? That was That's the way I remember it. Yeah, so well, you're, you're, I, didn't got, I didn't have enough pace to get in the first time, it's really the end of that sentence, which is, is quite correct. Um, um, the best thing, really I really liked about that try is the ambition that was shown, and there was no hesitation that um, that we were going to go from from that position. It was quite late in the game; um, there may have been time to, to kick the ball down there, but no. Um, and then the nature of defences, when you're that deep in your own territory, there's a little bit more room to work because the wingers do have to hang a little bit. Um, so we stacked the open side, and then there was a conversation between uh, Raj and um, Peter Stringer and, and Drico and myself to a lesser degree, but um, they wanted to you know, chip it over the top for, for Brian to regather, and they did it. Um, the bounce was perfect. Uh, I think we got a bit of luck there. And then, to be honest with you, I probably should have got in first time round, um, but um, the, the flanker had a little bit of a, an angle on me, and I was never the fastest of, of wingers, so... Um, I think I got a bit panicky as well. And um, I did remember for a split second, I remember for a split second, Ronan, I think, was on the inside of me. He had um, kept on running after the initial kick. And I remember for a second thinking, uh, I can flick this ball behind my back and <laughs> it might go to Ronan. And I ju- it just went in for a second. And then I thought, <laughs> if this actually doesn't go to hand, then it'll be the greatest disgrace of all time. So I gave myself a chance um, I thought we'll recycle it instead and maybe we'll get another chance. And luckily, luckily we did. Yeah. And of course, you knew that it was uh, O'Gara who was doing to be, going to be doing the clearing out there. So you were absolutely confident, <laughs> I'm sure, that the ball was going to come out. I mean, I actually couldn't believe it watching it uh, today. Just how well O'Gara did. It's, like, protect- Richie, it's like Richie McCall. Yeah, there. He's hitting the rook and protect. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I backed him clearing out the rook better than I did his pace to get to the line. Because if anyone was slower than me in the back line, it was Ronan. <laughs> so the ball's recycled. Uh, a few phases later, Stringer throws that skip pass out to you. 
Can you take us through the finish, which to this day, and looking at it again today in advance of chatting, I, I still can't quite get my head around how you managed to, to get the ball over with so much going on. Well, it's funny what goes through your mind, because I still had it in my head that I should have scored the try first time round, and that there was going to be an issue that if, the, if a try now wasn't scored... Uh, and it's amazing these uh, what goes through your head in a split second. I remember that distinctly. That went that went through my head. I was kind of panicking. So I was then eager to get the ball and and have a go with the try. And I noticed that that they were a little bit narrow uh, on on their line. And I think probably I don't know if it was the smartest move going short side again. I think there might have been more space on the open side. But the the pass by Stringer uh, was so flat that it. It's really took out a lot of their defenders, and I just I just managed to get a little bit on the outside of um, sorry, what's the flanker's name again? It was Lewis really Moody, remember. yeah. Lewis Moody, yeah, yeah. Lewis Moody, of course. And uh, I just managed to get on his outside, and it kind of it wasn't a very dynamic finish. <laughs> I kind of I kind of um, I could see that the line seemed to be quite a long way away, but then I did have the ball in one hand, and I could use my 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 left hand. Uh, for momentum to sort of push myself along, and I felt I, then I realised I was I just had enough room to get this ball down, and uh, and I and when I, I got it down, and I, I thought, all right, that's it, it's down. But Ron O'Garan then jumped on me, and uh, Mikey McGurn, who was the strength and fitness um, guy at the time, he started jumping on me, and they were screaming and roaring. And I, I really didn't celebrate because I was so worried about my foot being in touch. So you didn't know? You, were, you weren't 100% sure? No, I certainly wasn't. I, was, I knew I'd got the ball down correctly. And because the line came really, really quickly. Um, but it, is, it was also one of those moments that, you know, people say things slow down. It really did. It slowed down. And it was as soon as everything slowed down and became quite dreamlike. Um, and... I remember the two guys jumping on me and I, I, I honestly, straight away I knew that this was a big deal if this was a try, that it was a big moment uh, for me. And uh, it wasn't until I went back and, and saw the saw on the big screen that it was a try that I could kind of half allow myself to celebrate. But I was so then panicky that I still had to finish off the game, still had to win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of tried to keep control of myself and didn't celebrate too much. It's funny because you're talking about your conscious thoughts at that stage and really the, the main point is to obviously stretch out your, your entire frame and get the ball over the line. Are you thinking about your feet? I, well, I often want to do wingers know whether their feet are being dragged because you're being hit hard at that stage and at pace by a big flanker. You're, most of your body is gone and you're having to contort what's left of it towards the try line. Are, are you aware in any, in any way of what's happening with your legs? Yeah, well, in general you are. Um, but if the, that, the way that tackle was made, he was kind of tackling me to try and force me out of touch. So I always felt my legs were on his body, and it was his body that was keeping them off the ground. Um, but I was wasn't certain that at some way, uh, at some point, they hadn't brushed the brushed the line. But I did have a feeling that they were up, and I, I certainly knew that the ball was down. Um, but it was it was funny the transition between actually having the first contact with Lewis Moody, and then being in reach of the try line was bizarre because I I hit I sort of hit into him not expecting to I expecting to be held up a, a little bit short, but it was then it just dawned on me hang on I can I can actually see this try line here I can get a hand to it, 
um, which was kind of a strange feeling and one that was unexpected. You said the magnitude of it hit you. Was that as the boys were celebrating with you, as O'Gara and Mike McGurn were jumping in your back? Yeah, it was. Yeah. They were, I was on the ground still and they were jumping and, and it was it was kind of, you know, I, get, I used to get deja vu sometimes on the pitch, you know, maybe if I got a bang on the head. But it was kind of like that. It was kind of this kind of other otherworldly feeling um, where it, things did slow down for a second. We, looking back on it, I don't know how well you remember O'Gara's kick, if you were in your own world at that stage, but he, abs- he, he might have grazed the upright as it went over, but just this monster kick from the, from the touchline, which put you guys out of penalty, uh, out of reach with a penalty, and maybe gave you a little bit of breathing space at that stage. Do you, do you remember much of those last couple of minutes? I, I remember going back, um, going back to halfway and being really aware that there was a chance that uh, this could all be taken away and how incredibly painful it would be and how that try would have no significance whatsoever if we didn't if we didn't win the game and uh, I do remember Ronan I, I remember him knocking over an unbelievable kick yeah it was really incredible <laughs> and it, it made such a difference because it changed how you know the whole mindset of what England had to do um I, do, I, I still, I think, I think it was afterwards. I still remember. I don't think I was aware of it at the time, but even now, I look back on that. And the referee stopped, had the clock stopped, didn't he? That was the thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he stopped the the try, the, stopped the clock while Ronan was kicking the ball and didn't put it on until afterwards. So there was maybe another sixty seconds there, maybe more that um, of an advantage that he gave to England. And that time, I remember just such an absolute panic. <laughs> Of thinking, you know, we can't we can't let them score now. This would just be a nightmare. Yeah, O'Gara kicked one ball out on the full, but I think he thought it was going to be uh, the full time whistle he was hearing, and instead it was a line out to England uh, be- before the last couple of plays. Of the oh game. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. I couldn't believe he <laughs> kicked it out. I mean, there was a low. You know, it was everybody in the team just turned to him. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Well, Stringer also got blocked. Stringer tried to kick it out at the very end and got blocked, uh, and the ball yeah. managed to stay in play before O'Gara booted it over. But just you know, the when you look back, and I, I remember this even from the time we all thought it was hilarious that B- the BBC had just given Andy Good man of the match, and they, there was a sense that you know, okay, Ireland have put it up to us at Twickenham, but they beat us in 04 here. They're not going to. They're hardly going to beat us again, despite winning. Was there was that maybe the turning point of the relationship for, between the the countries, and maybe? the garnering of proper respect for Ireland from England? Um, I think they actually, the change from, from our perspective had happened uh, before because England had this incredible side uh, that won the World Cup and um, they were, with, you know, by anyone's measure, they were phenomenal. And the players that they had, the way they performed, but they lost something in that World Cup. They, they weren't the same. They they emptied their tank like no other team I've ever seen before. They also lost some players. So it was a year. It was a year after um, that we went to Twickenham and we we beat them as world champions. And I think the problem with English rugby at that for that period, and it was we had a successful period around that time where we beat them quite a lot. I think we beat them four times in the trot, and not long after that, uh, that match in Twickenham included that. Um, there was a number of players that were brought in from an English perspective who thought they were world champions, and they weren't because they hadn't won the world. They weren't hadn't won the World Cup. A different group of players had won the World Cup and a different team. And I think there was an expectation that that was going to be 
and they were going to coast a bit and that it was going to be easy. And if anything that you can say about the team that won the World Cup for England was that they didn't have things easy. Um, they didn't make things easy for themselves and they worked very, very hard to get um, everything that they had. And, and they were, you know, they were remarkably talented sides. So I think from our perspective as Irish players, we thought, you know, these aren't the same, these aren't the same formidable individuals and mentally strong individuals that had won the World Cup and the Grand Slam the year before that. This was a different group and we can deal with these. And you're right, though. I don't think it. it I think it took a while for for England to accept that your World Cup is is really only the year you win the World Cup, or or that period of time over the World Cup. You're um, that you're the best team in the world, and you have to keep on doing it. And um, I think by the end of that cycle, by the end of of those maybe four games that we won, I think that England really realised that this was you know this was a good Irish team, and and I had respect for us, but. They're still not the, the rivalry still doesn't exist in the same way as their rivalry with Wales exists and a rivalry in France exists because it's just not his, there's no historic basis for it. If you compare 06 to the try at Croke Park in 2007, sorry for all these tough questions here, Shane. Which, yeah. which is your favorite try? <laughs> it's a real grilling. <laughs> this is the, the Jim McGuinness treatment you're getting here, Shane. This is not good. Uh, which is your favorite try? Um. I think oh, that is it is quite a difficult question because it's sort of which one of your children do you love more? <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, the the one in Twickenham I think was really special because it was um, it was in the last moment. I think that makes a difference, and um, it was uh, you know the game was won, the triple crown was won, and it, things felt so bad prior to that because I think we performed pretty well in that game and it looked like we're not, we weren't going to win it so I think the impact that it had for me from that perspective was probably um, you know nicer but and we were very comfortable when I scored the try in Crow Park I think that game was won already uh, although you know the, the aesthetic of the try in Crow Park and you know the, the similarity to, to the Gaelic uh, Gaelic catch um that was incredible as well. But um, yeah, so I don't know what kind of answer that is, but it's the only one you're getting. No, yeah, I think you're, you're just plumping for 2006. So maybe that's because that's the try we're talking about today. Listen yeah, to, yeah, yeah, come to me back to me next year. <laughs> next, and, uh, yeah, next time, next year. Well, it's 10 years next year. So, exactly, yeah. yeah. Just a, a last one. The mindset, not so much the mindset of the team this week, but just even of supporters and everyone connected to Irish rugby with the championship already gone and the downbeat feeling around what happened in France. Uh, are you finding it hard to get excited about this one? I'm not really. I'm not. Um, I'm really enjoying rugby at the moment. I think the Six Nations. I love the Six Nations so much. I think there's in, loads of interesting stories going on around this game. Um, I know that we are out of the the championship, but that and that does take, diminish the the fixture in, in to some degree. But it's not like players aren't going to be motivated. It's not going to be like, it, it doesn't matter. There's huge, or the expectations are, are going to be any less. They're going to still exist. And in some ways, because Ireland didn't perform the way they can against France, maybe there's a bit more pressure on them to perform. I think the England side are exciting. Um, I was always a believer that England had lots of good players. I think that we're seeing that now. Um, they're not going to have as handy a, a run as they've had in, in the first couple of games, but 
they have they are building something um there's certainly a, an element of, of confidence when you have when a new co- coach comes in um he tells you to do certain things and uh, then they work or he tells you that certain things are going to happen uh, if you do what he says and then they those uh, things transpire that can be very powerful um and it can be very um it can be very solidifying for for a team and i think ireland unfortunately are are facing into the into that and even the atmosphere speaking to english supporters um they're very excited about it and they're excited that they're in in twickenham against an Irish team that they see uh, limping a little bit. Yeah. All right, Shane, listen, brilliant memories of 06. Thanks so much. Thanks a million, guys. Says enough is enough. The title is going to Ireland. All right, brilliant stuff. So it's funny when you're when you see sports people, um, you know, do these things. Uh, you, you don't necessarily think about what it might mean for them outside of sport. So not only did Shane say it changed his career, but it changed his life. It changed how people perceived him. Opened up opportunities in the media. Opened up opportunities outside of the game that's a pretty that's a pretty good return for going out there for 80 minutes and and doing your best but i was also particularly interested in his uh, such a vivid description of the try itself and the emotion the, the bit of panic that he had having failed to finish it first time around being tackled by lewis moody he was thinking i better find some way to get this over the line second time around yeah never mind the bigger picture of triple crown beating england uh, our recent track record against them. Yeah. If, if, if only we, more sports people could find the inner panic required to really achieve at the at the vital moment. That's the, the main lesson to take from uh, our chat with Shane there. What's I think. the latest from the Ireland squad today? Keen Healy and Mike Ross are back in as expected. Um, Jordy Murphy's come in for Sean O'Brien. Craig Gilroy's come in for Dave Carney. And Foley has come in for Mike Just McCarthy. Just into the squad now we're talking. Into the squad. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah he yeah. hasn't done a, given us a bow from the blue here and named yeah. the team on um, Monday. I mean, Healy and Ross are likely to be involved in some way. Um, the other three probably won't be involved in a match day squad. Um, but the biggest news uh, is undoubtedly that Jared Payne um, sat out training today and the RFU have confirmed it's a, a wait and see situation. They're expecting him to train tomorrow, but as they say, wait and see. And the way these things have gone, if somebody misses the first two days of training in the week of the game, we know Joe Schmidt doesn't pick them, no matter how highly he rates them or how close they might be to fitness for the actual game day. So that kind of would be a massive reshuffle. And for all the criticism of Jared Payne, which there has been in the World Cup and even in the Six Nations, uh, when he's gone, then you really notice, well, against Argentina, we really notice the defensive deficiencies yeah, he's in his a, absence. he's a pretty good player. I mean, there's, there's nobody saying he's a world beater. But I think in Joe Schmidt's system in particular, he's per- probably well, not perfect. Obviously, Brian O'Driscoll at his best would have been perfect. Yeah. But he's he's probably... He does a little bit of everything. He, he's, he's a sort of 7 out of 10 player yeah, and really yeah. dips below that. Anyone you want to see in there that hasn't been given their chance yet? Stuart McCloskey. Yeah. I mean, he's in the squad. If we are down the centre, you know, in terms of if you're taking a chance, a big guy is a less chance, a less of a risk. In, in his first big game. And there were the remarks over the weekend as well about uh, from Joe Schmidt talking about uh, this idea that we might see a few new faces uh, over the course of the next three games, which I th- thought was interesting. I did not expect to ever read 
those words coming from Joe Schmidt, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, it's literally he's... an opportunity to maybe look at a few guys like the big fella there and a few others, and the big fella's Stuart McCloskey, 17 stone, six foot two and a half. That is big. <laughs> you're officially called the big fella when you're that sort of size. Mm. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is ready for you. That's. Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Yeah, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. Well, we talked a little bit about the swirl of rumours surrounding Manchester United. Um, seems to be new one every couple of hours. Um, we'll talk a little bit about how Manuel Pellegrini uh, plunged a dagger into the heart of the FA Cup. Yeah. I mean, we, we, there may or may not be an FA Cup Ghouls report. Do you want to, well, you'll have to see. Yeah, I think you should just tune in. I mean, there's definitely an FA Cup Ghouls bed, but <laughs> is there actually Ghouls? That is the big question. Shane McGrath is, in his first year now, as a retired Tipperary player, all-around winning midfielder, obviously, in 2010. And since that great day for the county, they've only beaten Kilkenny twice. That's in 13 games in all competitions. The latest defeat in the league featuring the concession of two late goals at Nolan Park yesterday. We'll talk to Shane Malachy Clerkins in studio to us. Malachy, right now in 2016, forgetting about all the historical baggage, this isn't really a rivalry at all, is it? Uh, I, I always kind of think that, um, this, this idea that we need uh, the teams to one win one and one win the next and, and it to be equally split between them for it to be a rivalry, I think... I think we kind of overblow that a wee bit. I mean, Kerry and Dublin was, you know, you can't say it was anything other than a rivalry, even through all the years Dublin didn't win for like 30 it years. It was close, though. I've got to say that that was close. I know Murph felt that it, it, we were asking similar questions. It's very mm. interesting to bring that up about Dublin, Kerry around, I suppose, around 2006, 2000, and, well, even later, 2009. No, 2010. It was 2009. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I suppose. That did need Dublin to start winning it again. N- n- well, it didn't. It didn't. Yeah. It's the. I, I think a rivalry is something that uh, in the days before the game happens, everybody in the two counties is going right. We're up for this. I. I don't know that You're it setting matters. The bar very low there, Malachi, I don't I know that it is. Look, put it this way: Kilkenny and Tip over the last five, six years, or however many years, have had close games. Okay, Kilkenny are winning them all. But uh, I still think it's a rivalry. Uh, anyway, we're talking semantics a little bit. Yeah. But yes, the the, the point uh, stands. Kilkenny have the upper hand. Tipperary have come close too many times without working out a way to win. Mm. I, I think that's the big problem. I don't think that they're significantly worse than them. I don't think that... Maybe there is is some sort of uh, a mental thing there. Shane would be able to talk about that far better than me. But they they definitely have got so far and no further with them, and and that's that's a problem. Well, what about that, Shane? Is there a mental issue at this stage with Kilkenny? Uh, I don't. I don't actually know. Like, I don't. I don't believe there is. Like, you know, I mean, as as Malachi said, there like there hasn't been much between us in a good few of the matches. Now, obviously, the stats will say differently. You know that they've won ten out of the last thirteen, I believe. Like, but I mean, a lot of those games, there's only been a poke of a ball in. You know, maybe sixty-seven percent of them. There was a couple of times now we, no, you no arguments at all that they were by far the better team. And um, most recently, I suppose, 
2014 in the replay like I mean the first day you know we were probably maybe had the edge in them and just hadn't had a bit of luck I would say the second day I would have no claims in saying that overall they were the better team they learned more from the first day but I suppose look here if you're going by stats you can't say there is much variety but there, like I, I feel there is like and I think Kilkenny and Tippy would feel that there is that bit of a rivalry like because you know if there hasn't been much in any of the games. Like so, belief you know. hasn't been. You don't think belief is necessarily the issue then uh, with 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 Tipperary now, despite the years, despite there not being the follow on from twenty ten that everybody hopes. I don't think it is belief. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people probably listen to this now will go ask for it has to be belief. You're, you're you're constantly getting bit by you, and it has to be in your head. Like you know, um, for me, it, it wasn't belief. You know, I I always believed that we could beat him. Like you know, um. I didn't beat him that much. Like we only beat him a few times, and I suppose most famously was in 2010. Like you know, um, when we, when we did win the All Ireland, like but like I felt in 2009, we we believed we could we could beat him, and that we we should have beat him that day. We didn't, you know, for one reason or another, and um, not the players, and I'm not pointing any fingers anyone in particular, <laughs> but uh, uh, we didn't we didn't win 2011. Definitely, Kilkenny were the better team. 2011, and but no, I, I always believed we could beat Kilkenny. Like hand in my heart, I, I genuinely did believe every time we played Kilkenny, we could beat him. Didn't always work out more often than not. It didn't, but it was it was it wasn't belief for me anyway. Yeah, the 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 feeling in Tip as well is that they are at least the second best team in the country. This is among supporters now that I that you know that that I would have talked in that that they're the second best team in the country at least and that they should be beating Kilkenny, you know, 50% of the time at least. And, I mean, even after the semi-final loss to Gola, now my ears may have been attuned to this <laughs> most, more acutely than others, but the idea that if Galway beat Tipperary that day and as a result this was just handing the title to Kilkenny effectively, that 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 uh, that Gola might have been able to uh, fluke a victory against Tipperary, but that there was no way that Gola could then go on and, and beat Kilkenny. That this idea that Tipperary are the only team equipped out there to beat Kilkenny does that attitude need to change amongst supporters as well yes I would say I mean to the very supporters now I mean uh, some of them are you know serious hurlers that never hurled a game in their life like I mean if that if that makes any sense <laughs> to you there like you know um, you have people there coming up to say jeez if you only did this or if you only did that and you go yeah actually um, who, did, who did you play hurling for yourself actually or you know how many times did you play and you're like I know, I never played myself, like, but... And that goes on in every county now, like, you know, but, you know, like, genuine supporters, like, I mean, and people who know Hurland would realise that we probably, at the moment, are not the second-best team in the country. And, you know, there's a new panel of players there now, tomorrow, there's new management, and I'm sure the lads themselves, like, you know, they would, they, they would believe that they're good enough to win that Ireland. But I, I think after yesterday, they have, like, I'm sure they realise that they're probably not the number one contender to try and knock Kilkenny off at the moment. Yeah. So I, that's, that's, that's honestly how, how I would feel at the moment. And I'd say that's how a lot of real hurling people in Tipperary would feel as well. Like That's interesting, Malky. You want to come in there? Yeah, yeah? I think Shane is right. I mean, I have uh, a couple of dear uh, Tipperary friends. One of them even just this morning was upbraiding me for the fact that I always uh, tip uh, Tipperary to beat Kilkenny and I'm always wrong. And <laughs> he was even saying, he says, look, there's just no evidence for it. Where where do you have this evidence that they'll win? And I always kind of go, ah, you know. The, and I, I, I guess I do sometimes get blinded by the fact that they have scorers. And a lot of teams don't have scorers. I mean, I've been at Dublin's two league games so far this year and yeah, they won on Saturday night. But 
they just don't have. There are times when you're looking at Dublin play or even Galway play or a lot of these Cork, a lot of these teams playing, and you're going, where are they going to get the next five, six points from? And you never you think never that looking at Tipperary. You always think, well, Noel will throw over a couple of points, or Bonner will make a run through and lay it off, or Bubbles will score, or, or you know, Callan will score. They have scores, and so I always kind of get a little bit bewitched by that idea that they will put up. 122, 123, 125, the totals that are needed to win these games. And then I forget that they're coming up against the one team who says, no, you won't do that against us. And I think that's where the problem arises sometimes. And, and my friend, the Tipperary supporter, is just going, he says, where do you think that they're going to do all of this against this team when they haven't been able to do it? over the last five, six years in this sort of modern history of these two teams, they're just not able to do it. Yeah, and I think that the... And this is probably overly harsh on Tipperary, but since 2010, Galway have beaten Kilkenny in the Championship. Cork have knocked them out of the Championship. Clare have won All-Ireland. That's something that you can kind of... have beaten. Yeah, that you can hang your hat on in a way the Tip haven't, the tip haven't mm-hmm. had anything like that sure. since the, the All-Ireland final in 2010. And that's, the, that, that's what they have to go about changing. Yeah, and it, and look, they they are a little bit different this year. I think. I mean, the, it's it's very early, and they haven't got everybody back yet. Um, but I mean, the, Mick Ryan has obviously moved a few people on. He's decided, you know, to bring some new guys in and start uh, playing maybe a little bit different. Although I kind of think I, I was at their first game and they were very direct in it. I didn't think they were quite as direct yesterday or maybe they just weren't allowed to be quite as direct yesterday. Um, so, you know, it, it's very early to say what sort of team they're going to be uh, and, and how they're going to play. Um, I would say, Maliki, like, sorry for this, Corinda. I would say you could not base anything on the boys, tip boys, they were talking about at the moment, on what happened in the first league game against Dublin. Yeah. Um, it was probably the worst team performance I've ever seen from Dublin. <laughs> and I don't know what it was like. Was it the, coming down to Thurles on a Saturday night? Granted, the conditions were brutal, but there was a few things happened that night that I, I've never seen from my time playing against Dublin, you know, in, in recent years when they have been serious contenders. Like, I mean, Paul Ryan missed three or four frees. I think he dropped one of them short from just maybe 30 yards. I mean, those things don't happen. I mean, you could see the difference that Liam Rush made from there Saturday night. Yeah. They just had no leader on the pitch that night. So I don't know where people were people were getting this this thing of, you know, that's you know, that you know, things are going really, really well maybe. Like Dublin were just so bad. Yesterday like yesterday the lads worked tip boys worked very hard. But like as you said already, they just they weren't allowed to get that ball in. And I, I, I would love to see Tip getting back to like what what they can do best, like on their day is, is zipping the ball around a bit more. I mean I don't know this direct ball in it's it's fine when it has to be done but I think where Tipper at their strongest is when they're zipping the ball around when it's 20-30 yard passes to the guy in the best position and let him have a go rather than always just lumping it in lumping it lumping, lumping it in I mean look who you had there in the Kilkenny full back line yesterday I mean two all-stars like yeah. Paul Murphy Joey Holden and and not, I mean if you keep lumping ball on top of those boys they're just going to go I'd say Paul Murphy and Joey Holden as well yesterday and Shane Prendergast to a degree were like Keep putting it in, keep putting it in, keep putting it in. It's tough on a full forward line, like you know. But I just, I think I'd love to see him getting back to to, to uh, these twenty thirty yard passes a bit more, like. But uh, and the thing yesterday, uh, Shane, was that that you know if you're looking at players to 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 even let's decide that you're going to play that way and you want uh, players to lump it in, you're you're talking about the players in the half back line there. You're talking about your your Brendan Murray, your Paddy Mar. 
if you look at Kilkenny's uh, first goal yesterday, it came from a long ball into into Kevin Kelly. Now the defender slipped and he got in and he stuck it. But if you go back and look at who played the long ball in, it was Walter Walsh back on his own sixty-five. Like Kilkenny mm. yesterday, they dropped players back. They they left sort of two two playing up forward, but they dropped back and and just completely packed that sort of middle area. And you had you had Walter Walsh and Colin Fenley back breaking up tackles annoying the hell out of uh, Tipperary, putting their rhythm out. And so if, you're, if, if you've decided that you're going to play long balls in and yet you have the opposing half-forwards dropping back on top of you, making it difficult for you, you're, you're kind of, you know, yeah. it, you it, know it, it's so much harder. But you love when people say, didn't they, can you have no system? I know, yeah. They probably had the first system, you know, like dropping the lads back and said everyone's playing five, ten yards deeper and it's just it's crowded the whole thing and and like even as you said Malik already about like they got it off a long ball but even like it was highlighted there last night in the telly the second goal I mean you see the way they're, they're so what, what they're really good at is getting into a crowd and then three or four lads just breaking off mm. and like I mean if, if Kevin Kelly hadn't scored the goal last night there was two lads I think Walter Walsh was on uh, was one and I, I can't remember who the other one was was there ready for the rebound if Darren had made a save like you know yeah. so right. I mean they, like you know this this no system thing is like they do have a system like you know yeah but, yeah. but listen, I'm sure we'll chat about it again through the years and just a, a quick one though you, I mean, you, uh, it is worth um, asking you how retirement is treating you from the game you had 10 years there when you made your announcement that you were finished up you did mention that you'd come from a small club and very proud to represent the county for, for a decade how are you finding being out of it? Yeah I've, it's, it's 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 not bad at the moment, you know, the bit of free time. Nobody misses this time of year, like really, really. I don't think it'll it'll really, really uh, affect me until the championship days are, you know, coming league semi final, league final where the weather is getting nicer, you know, the pitches are nicer, and and you know, that's that's when you really, really do miss it, when there's a big crowd there and there's a buzz around. That's when you're really, really missing being out onto the pitch and, you know, trying to trying to do something. But, you know, it was it was a great time for me and being from Bell and Hinch there isn't too many people played like so it was a great honour for me, you know, and it was always nice to see Ballon Hinge coming up on the big screen at Crow Park, <laughs> things like that. And hopefully, please God, some uh, someone will do that again soon, like, you know. Absolutely. Listen, Shane, great to talk to you. Malky, thanks a million. No worries. Cheers. That's the question that's going to be asked, answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight, tonight, into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight, their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. No, I think Hawk have made a massive boo boo with our matchups. Massive boo boo. Tonight, 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 tonight. Alright, before we wrap things up, Ken, you've uh, you've glimpsed the future of journalism. What does it look like? The future of, the, of journalism is superfluous. It's simply the future, as introduced by Mark Zuckerberg on stage at this Samsung launch over the weekend. There's a great picture of Zuckerberg on his way up to the stage. Uh, this was at the uh, launch of... Yeah, Samsung were launching some yeah. product and Zuckerberg turned up at it for some reason. And uh, he was... He was on his way up, like the aisle of this auditorium, and uh, you could see all the journalists, there's a big crowd of journalists all sitting there in the usual way, except that they're all wearing these sort of virtual reality headsets and uh, kind of peering around. You know, some of them are kind of seem to be staring up at the ceiling almost in a kind of Stevie Wonder type way. 
and uh, it was basically like that scene in the Matrix where you uh, see that humankind is now basically just pods for uh, the manipulation of the computer, the supercomputer controlling all of our lives. Yeah, fleshy blobs suspended in amniotic fluid. Uh, powering some kind of supercomputer, except that you know this is an actual real. Situation. How does this relate to the Premier League, though, Ken? That's the key question that we're all asking. When I saw that that photograph, I thought, surely the Premier League will find some way to monetize this in in some fashion. Well, I mean, they can obviously. They they can pretty soon. You can imagine them selling tickets for headsets. Mm. So basically, you can pay. Well, I don't know whatever. Well, they already. How much do you have to pay to get a ref link in rugby? Quite a lot. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is bigger than a. So here with the ref is saying, bigger even than bigger than a ref link. So you could sit. That's down, actually its slogan. Yeah. P- put on your uh, virtual reality headset, <laughs> and suddenly be there, pitch side. I kind of see like, you know, sh- surely Emirates. you should be in the stadium, and then you get to pay the virtual reality. No, no, you, you know, the you, premium. You're you know, sitting you, at home. You said this is the point. You're sitting at home. You put on your headset, and suddenly you're there, pitch side. Watching, you know, Mike Dean lead out the teams, listening to uh, people shouting uh, racist insults. I don't know how realistic they're going to make it. Maybe they can just completely clean out all of the potentially unpleasant aspects of the experience <laughs> and ensure that all of the branding and sponsorship Ethnically is, exactly, is exactly the right stuff. Um, yeah, I, I mean, also, you, I don't really see any need for journalists to go to press conferences anymore if they can just do that. I mean, or, or for anyone to go anywhere. I mean, people could come and sit here and watch us do this. We could sell a ticket for that. <laughs> if if people are interested, they could they could what sit in the fourth chair here. Yeah, watch us eat sandwiches at our desk. Literally, be, be like being here. Yeah. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. Go and watch that Shane Horgan try at Twickenham 2006. Get yourself in the mood for this Saturday. Uh, there are short versions on YouTube. There are slightly longer versions on YouTube. I think the whole match might be on there. Uh, either way, give yourself a, a few minutes and get in the mood. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Uh, thanks, Ken. Thanks, Great Kieran, stuff. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.